Welcome to American Indian Living, a program developed by the Native Education and Health Initiative to improve and enhance the health of people throughout the Native communities. American Indian Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he's ready today to help you learn more about your health. Here's Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we're looking at a topic that has been coming up more and more, not only in the news, but on this very show, American Indian Living. We've had a number of guests, if you've been tuning into our show recently, who've been talking about this interface between faith and health. This is something that goes right to the core of First Nation peoples, as you well know. Native Americans never separated the spiritual, the mental, the physical, the social. They realized that we're integrated people in harmony with all that's happening around us. To that end, it's very interesting that medical science and public health are turning the spotlight more on this whole topic of how faith and spirituality impacts our health. And today we've got another guest who's going to be looking at this question from a fascinating angle that will make a difference for you. She is an elder. She's, in fact, a leader in the African-American Council of Elders of Wichita and Sedgwick County, Kansas. Her name is Pamela King Burns. Pamela, it's great to have you with us. Thank you, Dave. It's good to be here. Now, Pamela, you and I had the privilege of meeting some months ago. We were both attending one of the largest, some say the largest, gathering of public health and preventive medicine professionals in the world. The uh, venue was the American Public Health Association meetings. And we actually rubbed shoulders in the context of a, of a section of the American Public Health Association that is focused on faith and health, right? Yes, we did. I was very excited to be in that setting because I felt and do feel now that my faith and the health of myself and the health of others are interconnected. It's intertwined. You know, you and I share that belief, and I know it's a belief that uh, most people throughout Indian country feel. When we speak about faith, it may bring to mind a tribal belief system. It may bring traditional Native American religious practices to mind and other listeners. Some may be coming today from a Christian orientation or uh, an orientation of one of the major Eastern religions. But whatever perspective someone is coming from, the research is really showing that faith and health are intimately connected, aren't they, Pamela? Well, absolutely. I am a uh, public health professional. That's why you and I met, but also I'm clergy. And so a lot of times I am faced with what shall I do in this situation for someone? So my faith tells me that I am to love others as I love myself. The profession says, we've identified vulnerable populations, what are you going to do about it? And so my faith enables me to walk the walk of being an effective public health professional. I so appreciate that, and I know just from the little, we've had a a chance to rub shoulders there uh, at APHA, and then as we've communicated electronically since that time, I really appreciate the perspective that you bring to things. You got your hands in a lot, though. Not only do you work um, in the public health field, but you also, like you mentioned, are a minister. You're actually ministering in a very interesting 
I guess it's a church, this World Refuge Ministries, Inc. Is that a, a church, or is it more than that? Well, we consider it a church, but honest to goodness, the majority of our members, we're a small congregation, but the majority of our members are volunteering as community health advocates, including the senior pastor, because I co-pastor with him, Ron Burns. So any given day, you'll find us gathering food or making presentations on discount cards available to them, where their community health clinics are. So on any given day, the congregants are reaching out and ministering to the public. So in an essence, they're in public health as well. <laughs> no, it's a very exciting model, and I know people throughout Indian country are interested in what you're doing because you are someone who both has, as you've mentioned, you know, you have a, a profession. You're actually employed as a public health professional, and uh, you know, for reasons of, of sensitivity, we're not disclosing those affiliations. Uh, others in the public health field may understand that you're on the show, not representing your public health capacity. So this hasn't been vetted by the um, entity that you work for, but it's, you know, sharing your own personal experience. And that's why we're doing that, correct? That is correct. And I appreciate you saying that. I can speak freely. Um, Usually when one works in the government sector or in, yeah, government sector, local, state, federal, whatever, there's a very specific process to, the communication um, outside of those organizations, and you have to go through those steps to uh, gain permissions, etc. And they're very careful about what is the message that's shared. But as a pastor and as an elder and that type thing, I can speak as a citizen or as a resident, and I can speak more freely. No, I mean, I really appreciate you sharing this because it's a dialogue that we're having as a society on many levels. And a lot of people, if they're not in the communications field, don't realize what you and I are speaking about here. And I will say, Pamela, because this is something I deal with routinely with on the show, there are, there are people that have taken me months, literally months, to have on the show because they work for a government entity and it's got to go through the communications office and, and sometimes they want a script. They want to know exactly what questions I'm going to ask and they want feedback on that before we actually uh, even do the interview. So you're exactly right. If people are thinking this sounds strange and this sounds very controlled, well, it is controlled and it's not something new. It's not something new that a certain administration puts in place, but it's just kind of the standard operating procedures for government entities isn't it? Absolutely. When you have thousands of employees with thousands of opinions with, you know, and each one has a different experience and has a different perspective, then I understand how communications would want uh, to have a united image and keep the branding of the organization, you know, protected. So um, just going up the chain of command, or as I call it, the chain of respect, then we can control. Now, sometimes when we run into media, I may say the sky is blue, but by the time media gets through putting its bend on it or its bent on it, they may say, 
she thought the sky was blue, but it was a bit gray. And this is what, you know, so we don't always get what we say in the print or in media, different media. Okay, so basically we've kind of laid a little bit of framework for our dialogue. And now we want to dive into this concept of how, really, how tribes how public health entities on, let's say, a reservation or in an urban area, how they can interface with the faith community. You've already been sharing with us a little bit about your connection. You're actually doing that. You've got a church that's doing it. How does someone go about that process of working effectively? We're speaking now from the, uh, let's speak from, first of all, the public health angle. If a person is listening, they work for a tribe, they work for a public health agency, they, they work for Indian Health Service, they want to make more of a difference in the community they're serving, how do they reach out to faith communities? Any insights on that level for us? Oh, absolutely. I always tell people of different denominations and different faiths to be brave, number one. Um, don't be afraid to establish new relationships, whether they're usual, the usual, or even unusual relationships. Um, I belong to a group. Um, also, I'm a member of the Greater Wichita Ministerial League, and that is interdenominational, intergender. Uh, they meet once a month. My contribution per my job as a public health professional is every month I give them a health highlight, hmm. which identifies social determinants of health. But also, I'm in the conversation. I was able to contribute to an initiative that they have going this year called Beyond Tolerance. And also... A, an offshoot of that is a pulpit exchange. And so you may have someone from a synagogue go and preach at a Pentecostal church and vice versa. Hmm. So I say to the listening audience, be brave and step into a situation where you're a little bit uncomfortable, but strive for a mutual advancement towards understanding. If you remain a mystery, nobody's going to know you. Get out there and mix it up. Very good. I mean, these these are great points. And you're someone who, uh, Pamela, a lot of people might say, well, you know, I'm trying to figure out who actually is speaking here. I know this woman's clergy. I know she works in the public health field. They're wanting to know a little bit more about you and say, can you really relate to some of the challenges that Native Americans find, many of whom are in sit settings where they're, a minority population, they're dealing with a lot of these challenges that we've had uh, highlighted in our country uh, so recently about those who are not part of the majority population being sometimes uh, marginalized or being pressed down. Tell us a little bit about your own story. Well, I was, um, <laughs> I was, I was born poor. To I was born to a single well, she wasn't single. She was a teenage mother married to a young man who was a porter. So we're black, we're poor, we're born in Oklahoma. Um, they divorced. She now has two children and moved to Wichita. And I'm going to make it really, really short and say that I was at that age, um, three years old and growing up in Wichita, I've been to two 
elementary schools. They built one, tore it down, put in a highway, um, and two, three high schools in my lifetime. So that's a lot of moving around, mm-hmm. a lot of um, diversity components in there, all black. And then I, I was in a integrated setting. And then, you know, so I didn't really get to throw down roots with people. But my mother, who did not get a high school education, but just enough, she didn't graduate, but she sat me at her knee with the family Bible, and she taught me to sing and to read and to love education. Hmm. And so that tight, that very solid familial type setting Um, I have embraced all of my life. And one of the phrases that the Council of Elders use or the black culture is, it takes a village to raise a child. Mm. And so this is the paradigm that I come with as I'm going into the community and working with uh, the different levels um, of SES level, socioeconomic levels, uh, cultural levels, genders. We have so many isms. And so I have been exposed to all of that as a teenager. And now as an adult, I am drawing on those experiences so that I am empathetic, not just sympathetic, but empathetic to the plights of others. No, this is a powerful message, Pamela. And I think everyone who's listening today says, here's a woman who can relate to where I'm at. If things are going well in your life, if you're in a professional position, I mean, Pamela's there. If you're a spiritual leader in your community, Pamela knows what you're dealing with. She knows the challenges there. If you're involved in health work, Pamela understands that. If you're on the other side of the spectrum, and that doesn't mean the other side of the spectrum is any less important or any less valuable, but if you're in difficult straits, if you're wondering how you're going to make ends meet, you're wondering how to raise your children or your grandchildren, it doesn't feel like opportunities are coming your way. And it feels like, in a certain sense, you're really not a priority of the community in which you live. You're being moved from one place to another. Provision is not consistent. Pamela has been there. So, Pamela, you've got our attention. And as we continue on this topic today, we're going to touch on some very important things that can make a difference in First Nation communities, whether it's someone tuning in from a reservation or whether they're listening from an urban area or perhaps they're not even Native at all, but just enjoy some encouraging dialogue that can make a difference in people's lives. You're staying by with me for the whole hour, right, Pamela? Yes, sir. Good. Well, let me encourage my listeners to do the same. We do have to step away for just a moment. We will be back with more from Pamela and King Burns and Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Don't go away. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. This is Betty White. I know you don't need one more thing to worry about, but listen. High blood pressure can cause kidney damage, blindness, heart attack, stroke. And you can have high blood pressure even if you feel all right. One in seven adults has it, but it's easy to get your blood pressure checked, and you can treat it if it is too high. So don't worry about it. Don't ignore it. Just see your doctor and check it out. For your free booklet, visit the Will Rogers Institute at wrinstitute.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter.
Emergency medical unit, respond to 102 Maple Avenue, possible stroke victim. When stroke occurs, you have 60 minutes to win or lose the race of your life. There are new treatments, but you must get to a hospital fast. If you suddenly feel weakness on one side, have trouble speaking, walking, or seeing, it could be a stroke. Call 911. Get to a hospital. Because how you spend the next 60 minutes could determine how you spend the rest of your life. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders in Stroke. If you receive disability benefits, keeping Social Security informed is key. Keeping us informed minimizes the chance that we learn about something later that could negatively affect your benefits. That's the surprise no one wants because it creates overpayments that you must repay, disrupts payments, and can even jeopardize your entitlement to Social Security benefits. Learn more about reporting responsibilities for people working and receiving disability or SSI benefits by reading our online publications, Working While Disabled, How We Can Help, and How Work Affects Your Benefits at www.socialsecurity.gov pubs. Some changes can be reported online at www.socialsecurity.gov. You can also notify us at 1-800-772-1213 or contact your local Social Security office. Our goal at Social Security is to pay you the right amount on time every month. With your cooperation to keep us informed of changes, the likelihood of any unpleasant surprises that could derail your benefits will be greatly minimized. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back with Dr. David DeRose and with Pamela and King Burns. We're talking about a fascinating topic, really. It's this interface between faith and health. We're talking to someone who actually is a public health professional. In addition to being a public health professional, Pamela is a member of the clergy. She's very active in uh, her community there in the southern part of Kansas. And Pamela, you've been sharing your background with us. You really understand what it's like to be a member of a minority population and to have dealt with issues of what we would say today are cultural assimilation. Tell us a little bit about that parallel between Native Americans and uh, African Americans. Yes, I think we share in common. Thank you, David. I think we share in common these two cultures in that we were forced down through the years, and in my early years, and I know in in, uh, the early years of the Native population, forced to assimilate to a culture that was not quite ours. Mm. And so I can speak more on, uh, you know, the language was taken from uh, our population, Native language, and I'm so proud that people are in, of the Native um, Americans are retaining their uh, their original language and sharing it with the young people. We had to learn English. We had to learn how to move about in a world that was not ours. Um, if I wanted to wear an Afro, I had to make sure, you know, my hair in its natural state, make sure that I had a strong mind, that I understood what I was doing, that I could deal with people's reaction to what I was doing. And I am very, very firm on the fact that different social determinants can um, either positively impact one's health 
or negatively impact one's health. Mm -hmm. And one social determinant is isolation. Hmm. It can cumulatively negatively impact a person. And another one is uh, whether or not a person has self-determination. That's another social determinant of health. If I, as a black woman, continually am stopped in traffic for whatever by police officers or followed in one of my favorite stores by the clerk because of your biases, then that becomes chronically stressful to me, and that is a determinant of my health. And so I think there's a close connection uh, between any community that is not of the majority. So I, I'm appreciating so much what you're sharing because this is the language of public health today. There's really a spotlight being focused on these social determinants of health, and that's why it pulls this whole dialogue in about faith communities and public health uh, entities working together. But But let's step back just a little bit because some people tuning in today, you and I are public health professionals. When we talk about social determinants of health, we know what we're talking about, but can you make it a little bit more broad? You've given us a couple of very good examples, but what does this all include when we speak about these social determinants? Yes, sir. Um, A social determinant could be biological. Uh, A person might be genetically inclined to or genetically susceptible to certain diseases. A social uh, determinant could be physical. Um, I heard a man making a presentation. He was talking about the value of bike, uh, biking and, and sidewalks and communities, and he started his speech out with, did you know that where you live could kill you? Hmm. And then he went on to talk about access to green space. Uh, bicycling, sidewalks, able to get out in a neighborhood that's safe. Um, A determinant could be um, socioeconomic status. If you are living in a rented home and mold begins to grow in your home, can you afford to get out? Um, Mm -hmm. Do you know what resources are available to you? Access to affordable health care or the lack of access to affordable health care is a determinant. Do you have a grocery store within walking distance distance, or uh, do you have transportation to and from? All of those are examples of social determinants of health. So really, these are things that, if you will, society is placing around us that are impacting our health that are totally independent or we maybe wouldn't say totally independent, but largely independent of choices that we make, right? Yes, sir. And I'm also saying, um, hmm, when you say choices we make, sometimes the choices we're given. Mm. So the distribution of power, um, resources, that distribution, if um, if it's unequally distributed, if certain groups have access to a lot of that and certain ones don't, then we're looking at how policy impacts us. And that's when I look at a person and say, look here, your elected officials officials work for you. You're the boss of them. Tell them what you want and need. Empowerment is a social determinant of health, and it's a health issue. 
So this is a, a profound topic, and it brings us back to this whole interface between the faith community and the public health community. You were telling me a story that illustrates something that really I think you've made a case for already. You've been telling us that we need to step out of our comfort zone. We need to be willing to take risks, to be brave, I think, were the terms you used, Pamela. And what did you do recently that kind of pushed you uh, out of your comfort zone? Well, I agreed to be a speaker at a rally. And the rally, potentially, they were going to push things during that rally that I didn't necessarily uh, believe in or um, would not advocate for. Mm -hmm. But I was brave, and I said, I will go into this group and make a speech or give a presentation about my faith, I will share the fact that we have hope, and I'm going to come in love. And let me tell you, David, I thought it was going to be like two, 300 people. You know, that was big for mm-hmm. me. There were 3,000 people at wow. that rally. That's a big and rally. And they cheered and clapped and sang with me. Well, I didn't sing, but I, I spoke the words of a song called the Rubber Tree Ant Song. And there were people in that audience leaping and lifting their arms and singing that song. And I've had people to email me and tell me how they have been impacted by the love shown that day. And so I say, be brave and step out. I, I need to be quiet. You have me on my soapbox. <laughs> well, well, you know, Pamela, you've, you've got all our attention. And I know when you mentioned the rubber tree ant song, there were some people that they just resonated with that and others are still scratching their heads. Are you going to help They're us going, out? What? <laughs> do you want me to say the words or to read, uh, do the lyrics? Please, please. Okay. And I don't know that one part. That's where, you know, when, when sometimes we're singing our favorite song and then we go, la, 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 la. Well, this is the song. It okay. goes, just what makes that rubber tree ant think it can fell that rubber tree plant? Everyone knows an ant can't. Fell a rubber tree plant, but it's got high hope. It's got high hope. It's got high apple pie in the sky hope. And then I come into the la 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 part, and I told them, I said, listen, we have for hundreds of years fought for one another, and we fought for our issues, and we did it together. And so what I want to leave here today is that hope that we can work together on these issues. And, man, they they were just, there were people way at the end of the crowd towards the street. I saw a couple of people leaping up in the air, and they were singing that song, young people. Hmm. That's an exciting picture. And what I so love about the story is you're talking at a rally where people feel that their issues are not being heard. They're feeling that they need to raise their voice in a, in a rally, and yet you're giving a message of hope. Instead of looking at what may be some perhaps bleak indicators from some people's yes. assessment, you're saying yes, we need sir. to cultivate hope in our communities. Yes, sir. And I said, I think I remember saying that we can fail. Each of us can fail or chop down for those, you know, who don't know what that word means, but we can fail our own rubber tree plants of the ism, of the hopelessness, 
homelessness, racism, genderism. You know, we can fell those trees if we have hope and we dedicate ourselves to doing so. So I'm, as an aunt, and I looked out at him and I said, and I see every last one of you as an aunt, which that was delightful to them. But we work, we keep munching away at that issue. Mm-hmm. Don't be discouraged and know that there are other rubber tree ants working on the same rubber tree issues. Mm. Now, this is a great message, Pamela. And, and uh, I so love the image of, of the ant for a number of reasons. I mean, one, of course, as you've already alluded to, although the song seems to indicate it's a single ant that's active, we know that ants are a communal group. And that is really yes, the uh, really the theme for our discussion today. We're going to be coming back with more from Pamela King Burns, public health professional and actually a clergy member. She's talking with us about how we can make a difference in our communities, especially when we find ourselves in a minority. In fact, even when things look hopeless, you can make a difference. That's the message. Practical strategies coming up in the next segment. Don't go away. We will be back with more. I'm Dr. DeRose. American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. So, you want to be a hero. Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark. Or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke, sudden weakness on one side, or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. Can you guess what's going on here? It's kids getting fit. Studies show that children and teens who get at least 60 minutes of physical activity a day reduce the risk of obesity, heart disease, anxiety, and increase their overall mood. So whether it's around your neighborhood or at school, just get out and play. For your free booklet, visit WRInstitute.org or call toll-free 877-957-7575 and find us on Facebook and Twitter. The Will Rogers Institute since 1936. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We're retired, and this is how we live United. We decided to volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. United Way is how we contribute. Because we know our time and money are going to the right places. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic. We don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give, advocate, volunteer, live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Diabetes affects more than 29 million Americans. If left untreated, diabetes can lead to serious health problems such as heart disease, stroke, blindness, and kidney disease. Your family's health history can be an important factor in determining your risk of developing diabetes. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you and your family. Do all you can to prevent or delay the onset of type 2 diabetes. Visit yourdiabetesinfo.org to learn more. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. 
Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back with Dr. David DeRose and with Pamela King-Burns. Pamela, member of the clergy as well as a public health professional, has been sharing her enthusiasm and her hopeful outlook even to those who may be dealing with serious challenges in their lives. Pamela, you were mentioning to us in the previous segment that you were invited to speak at a rally. It was uh, organized by people who had some causes that you didn't seem to be all that oh, excited about, but you felt you had a message. You stepped out of your comfort zone, and you were sharing the reaction of the audience. Was there any other tangible evidence that by you doing this somewhat uncomfortable thing, you were impacting lives for the better? Um, yes, sir. Um, first of all, I barely, the, the, the rally barely had ended, and this woman, who was clearly a homeless woman, came to me, and she had this piece of paper handwritten. It was a full page, and it started out with, why I came to March. And she stated some, you know, stances that she had in the paper, but she glorified God in that paper and just had some of those same words that I'd spoken, faith, hope, love in her paper. Mm. She hugged me a couple of times, and then she handed the paper to me, and she said, this is for you. And I counted that as a gift. Mm -hmm. Also, Mm -hmm. there were young people there. They called me Mama Pam, which, you know, I just might as well embrace it. (laughs) They called me Mama Pam. They were there cheering and very much encouraged that, you know, young people like flash crowds. They like to just show up and show out. So they were encouraged. Then I had uh, young men, men and women who came and hugged me and said, thank you. I'm still getting emails about how encouraging that was, how uplifted everyone was, um, and it just did my heart good. And so that is a story that's going to carry me to the next event, which was this. So I'm excited about this. Well, we're excited that you're on the show. And I appreciate what what you're sharing because a lot of people, I will be honest with you, when they're invited to share on a syndicated radio show and they hear that we're on 150 stations across the U.S. into Alaska and Canada, uh, it's kind of intimidating. So we're glad that you, Pamela, were willing to again step out of your comfort zone and share from your own experience with us. And maybe this is supposed to be an encouragement if you're listening in today. I do hear from listeners, and they tell me, hey, we've got a great guest. We've got someone just sent me something, Pamela, and you might be interested. This is a a tribal leader who's involved with uh, health issues uh, from a traditional perspective. I said, great. I mean, get me that person's information. We, of course, can't interview everyone on the show who would like to be on, but we definitely are happy to get recommendations from folks. So if you feel, if you're listening today to American Indian Living, feeling that you have a story, that your tribe has a, an encouraging uh, uh, thing happening right now that you want to, to share with Indian country and beyond, let us know at American Indian Living. Listen uh, over the breaks and we give contact information for you. Pamela, let's, uh, let's come back to the dialogue now because we want to speak to people who are in the public health sphere, we first talked with those who are in the faith in faith communities. You said step out of your comfort zone, engage with public health professionals, show up at these rallies, show up at public hearings. But 
what is the message to those in the public health community as far as dealing with the clergy? Uh, I think the first thing that comes to my mind, David, is we are not to do things business as usual. Mm. Public, public health officials need to be careful about researching something, identifying it, then going in and saying, thus and verily, this is what we're going to do for you. And having the population look up and go, who are you? Mm. And where did you come from? And what did you say I needed? We need to kind of adjust the way we provide services. That's number one. Number two, we need to change. Um, no, we need to understand that our framing, our paradigm drives what services we provide and how we provide them. So if you're thinking of a population as uh, clueless or helpless or needy, those words are not complementary to the, the groups of people I know. Mm-hmm. I would love for us to think of them as partners with us. How do we partner with you to empower you? How do we get these services to you that are relevant to you? That type thing. Get the input, public health officials. Look at how you speak. What is your language? What is your way of thinking about the population you serve? Because how you think about that population drives your behavior when you're interacting with them. So basically, if I'm listening to you, Pamela, and hearing you right, you're saying that many times public health does not enter into the most effective of partnerships with communities because those delivering the services feel, uh, perhaps you didn't use this language, but maybe somewhat superior to those that they're seeking to serve instead of realizing that we're on the same level and need to be working together. Is this where you're coming from? Yes, sir. Um, a lot of times we don't realize it, but say a person comes goes into um, a health department for a WIC appointment, women, infant, and children appointment, mm-hmm. and they have on some pretty uh, expensive shoes, or they came up in a, a, a well, pretty good car, you know, that type thing. Well, that's none of our business. They may have borrowed those shoes to get there. A person may have mm. borrowed a car to come to um, uh, that appointment, that type thing. We should, number one, examine our own selves to see whether or not we have a healthy framework from which we're working and then see whether or not we are actually providing um, respectful services and whether or not we're giving, uh, when I say good services, whether or not we are giving the best practices and the best of what we have to offer. No, I mean, these are, these are points that I think are definitely well taken. Pamela, let's transition a little bit because we're talking about this interface and we're talking about faith communities. There's a lot of things that happen with faith communities that end up being polarizing. And I'm not going to go through a a list of what those things might be. But how can places of worship, how can faith communities be seen as building bridges, unifying communities, rather than being divisive? Do you you have some insights into that topic for us? Yes, sir. I forgot to tell you, I also um, am on a 
<laughs> a television show. It's a call-in talk show called Mouthy Bras. It's a local call-in talk show. And I don't know if I can say their name, but anyway. Um, so we, a person called in and commented on just the rally. Mm-hmm. And that resident said to us, it is all about love, period. We know, each of us, in our synagogues, churches, mosques, temples, other places of worship, and we know that love can be expressed in such a manner that it becomes a healing tool. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to love you, and it's going to cause division. It's going to cause unity. So that's what I would stress. In my Bible, it says God is love. There, that three sentence, three words in that sentence. I believe that, and I think that He can use me to be His physical, spiritual, emotional expression of His love in this earth. So, Pamela, are you saying that yes, from a Christian perspective, this value of loving others is there, but as you work with people from different faith backgrounds? People have this value in general of loving one another, whether they're coming from a Buddhist orientation or Muslim, whether they're a a humanist, uh, they consider themselves an atheist, they still value this concept of loving relations. Is that what you're saying, really, we need to tap into that regardless of what our spiritual orientation, if we want to have healthy communities? I do. I say that we tap into love as, as a as an expression. It doesn't matter who we are or with whom we work. We have to tap into that love because if if I love me, then I love you and I'm able to love you. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. But I I think the challenge, Pamela, is when people do unloving things to you, when you feel that you're the victim, when you feel like your community has been pushed to the side, whether it's because of your faith commitment or whether it's because of the color of your skin or your last name or your your ethnicity. Um, How do you love people when they're treating you in an unloving and unlovely way? Well, my focus goes beyond them. I, and this is another unusual aspect of me, I think of people as icebergs. And so one characteristic of an iceberg is that 10% always floats above the water. 90% of who I am, what are my values, what are my beliefs, what are my fears, what are those type things, those, that 90% only gets exposed um, if I choose to expose it or if there's a storm, a period of adversity, etc. And so when I'm faced with a person that uh, is acting out or ugly or whatever, I'm backing up and I'm waiting to discern whether or not you have a need from me to minister to you or whether or not you need me to leave you alone and let you work it Mm -hmm. out. But I always realize that there's more to the story than what is being manifested at the moment. You know, I think that's such a great perspective. So basically, when someone is dealing with me, even if it's a maybe a systemic way of dealing, maybe uh, we're looking at uh, at a government entity, maybe we're looking at a, another church, or uh, maybe uh, it's the neighborhood, and there is a business uh-huh. or a spiritual entity in that neighborhood that does not seem to be treating me very 
nicely. We need to ask these questions. What is the need of that entity? What is the needs of the individuals in that group? And how can I make a difference even though I'm being mistreated? Absolutely. Absolutely. I tell you a little story. When I was five years old, my sister, the second born of our family, is mixed black and white, which means that she's a very beautiful skin color. She had long hair and just a gorgeous little doll-looking person. I was walking down the street with her, holding her hands, and this woman yells out of the door. Now, this is my first uh, uh, time dealing with this type thing. And she said, oh, what a pretty baby. And I said, thank you. And that woman said, not you, honey, the little one. And at that moment, that small bit of rejection, that preferential uh, treatment went deep down inside me and caused me to start looking at things a little bit differently. Wow, Pamela. These are powerful and moving stories. We want to pick up on the lessons that you took away from that very early experience where you were uh, experiencing uh, some form of rejection. And then we're going to pick up on some more Uh, contemporary illustrations, some lessons that we can all learn as to how to deal with those people who aren't being too nice to us. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Our last great segment is really a powerful one. Pamela's got some tremendous life-changing stories and illustrations that will make a difference for you. Don't go away. I'm Dr. DeRose. We'll be back with more on our final segment of American Indian Living coming right up after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. One day, I'll teach chemistry to kids. I'm going to be an architect. My dream is to be a chef. At the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid, we provide more than $150 billion each year in grants, loans, and work-study funds, making higher education possible for anyone at any stage of life. I can go back to college. I can change careers. I can make a difference. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of the American Mind. Learn more about money for college at studentaid.gov. Diabetes is a serious disease that runs in families. If your parents or siblings have type 2 diabetes, you have a greater chance of getting the disease. If you're African American, Hispanic, or Latino, American Indian, Alaska Native, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, or Pacific Islander, you also have a higher chance of developing the disease. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you understand your risk. Visit the NDEP website at yourdiabetesinfo.org for diabetes prevention tools, including the Family Health History Quiz. It started off as a normal day. I felt fine when I arrived at the plant. Ruth Junius's life was about to change. Then I dropped my keys. They kept slipping out of my hand. My arm felt numb. A co-worker asked me if I was okay, and I couldn't speak. I started to get scared. Ruth was having a stroke. People around her weren't sure what to do. They thought I should go home or lie down, but I knew something was very wrong. I wrote 911 on a piece of paper with my other hand. And someone called for me. Because everyone acted quickly, doctors at the hospital were able to give Ruth treatment that started to reverse the symptoms. Within a few minutes, I was talking again. I didn't know a thing about stroke before I had one. Now I make sure that my friends and family know all the signs of stroke so they'll get help fast if they need it. No stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. Call 1-800-352-9424 for more information. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. 
You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back for the final segment of today's edition of American Indian Living. Dr. David DeRose with Pamela King Burns. She's been sharing with us perspectives of a clergy member and a public health professional, how we can work together, work together better in our communities, especially when we find ourselves in a position where we're not being treated right. Pamela, you shared with us, uh, really, I thought it was a moving illustration at the end of the last segment where... Uh, you were put down as a as a young child, made to feel inferior to your younger sister. How did that impact you? Well, you know, on a positive side, it made me want to be very, very beautiful on the inside. Hmm. And um, and that I made that decision as a child. Um, I should have had some type of guidance about not being a people pleaser because I I had to work around that as well. And so I think that experience did put me on a positive path from the inside out, be beautiful. Nobody can just, uh, you know, dislike a person who's beautiful from the inside out. Um, I grew up with that vision of my being friendly, kind, empathetic, that type thing. And I, you know, people would always come to me, gravitate towards me. And that was great. Uh-huh. Recently, I was shocked because <laughs> a young woman that I'd grown up with, and she's younger than I am, called me the B word. And I was like, whoa. Now, now help us here. The B word. Um, some people may know what that is, but other people may not. Yeah. it's a. It begins with B and it rhymes with itch. Okay. Okay. We got the idea. And she was, and she was very angry at me, and she called me that word. And so... It did not harm me the way she wanted it to. Mm. Again, I had the opportunity to know who I am, go into an introspection, a, a searching, that type thing. And here's the key to what I'm telling you right now. I am looking forward to the opportunity to see her again in our community, because I will. And I'm looking forward to that opportunity no, I'm not going to engage her or anything like that, but I'm going to love on her. Hmm. That's going to disarm her. This is a great message because, you know, a lot of people, when they're discriminated against, when they're mistreated, they feel like the correct response is uh, to retaliate. And what I hear you saying is if we realize that when we're mistreated, it puts us in a position of power, actually, where when we're kind to the people that don't deserve kindness, we can uh, really uh, powerfully impact the dialogue in our communities and really minister to people who are often very needy. If people are bullying us, uh, what the research shows is usually they are people that are very needy themselves, right? Yes. And don't be afraid to look at them and say, are you hurting? What's going on? Now, hmm. I know that there are some dangerous situations where people are unkind, et cetera. No, no, and, right. and I would say use your good sense about that. Sometimes you have to say, look, I am not to be spoken to that way or I am not to be treated that way. But other times you leave them in their own stew 
but don't take their angst away with you. Hmm. Leave that with them. Pamela, you are speaking from personal experience and from great insightfulness. You relate to where many of my listeners are coming from today. But what should someone do right now if they are in the throes of bitterness? Uh, They're angry about something that's uh, happened, maybe something that's happening ongoing in their community. Maybe it relates to how people of a certain faith community are dealing with them. Maybe it's a public health agency. What do you recommend someone do? My friend, your voice is one of the most powerful things our Creator has given you. Use your voice. And do be brave about it. And then realize that you're not in this alone. There mm-hmm. are others who are going through it. And numbers, getting together and, compi- and getting numbers together, they move the powers that be. So use your voice. Come together with others who have the like message or even a different message. But you're talking to the same person. Become very powerful in your numbers. Speak your truth. Pamela, you are someone who is still forging relationships. You haven't just uh, come on this show to talk about what you've done in the past. You're still actively engaged. You're involved with clergy. You're involved with uh, world mission, it sounds like, from the name of your organization, Uh, your church. It sounds like you're making a huge impact in your public health sphere. For someone who's listening, they may say, yeah, I mean, this woman has gone through maybe some challenging things, but they're in a position of power right now. I'm not a clergy member. I'm not a public health professional. It's fine for her to say all this stuff. She's got a job. But if I step out of the position I'm supposed to be in, I could lose my job, and that's it. If I speak up against these injustices, I could be in trouble, and uh, I don't have anything to fall back on. No one's going to look out for me. Is that a legitimate way to feel? David, it's absolutely legitimate. Um, I am in a government position. I'm not in a position of power. I had to get permission to do certain things. And so what I did, we have to be creative. So what I did was I took a day of vacation. I could do whatever I want to do as a citizen and a resident. So I Mm -hmm. took a day of vacation just to do this so that I didn't have to ask permission. Mm -hmm. What do you want me to say or how? Another thing I do is I find young people and I work with them. I am a motivational speaker for young people. Get out there and empower somebody else. Work with somebody else in their needs. Learn the system under which we live, work, and play. And tell yourself the truth. That institutionalized racism, those systemic um, oppressive practices, things like that, you have the power whether you work for the government or not, or an agency that would not support that, you have a voice. Use it to influence young people. Use it to influence congregants. Use it to influence uh, the family. 
you never know when the seed you plant becomes a harvest. Do that. Well, Pamela, I know that there are people that are going to want to touch base with you. They've been inspired just like they were inspired by, no doubt, hearing you at that, uh, that rally that you spoke about earlier. If someone does want to connect with you, maybe they want to just pick your brain, talk about how they can be more effective in their situation. Maybe they're a clergy member, maybe they're a public health professional, but they're, they're looking to bridge what sometimes is a divide between those, uh, those two domains in our communities. How does someone get a hold of you? Um, my personal email, and that is W-R-E-F, as in Frank, U-G-E, the number three, at Outlook.com. That's W-Refuge, the number three, at Outlook.com. Okay, I think I've got that. So the church that you uh, are involved in ministry with is World Refuge Ministries, Inc., and that is in Wichita, Kansas, right? Yes. And we have a P.O. box. Would you like it? Um, if someone does want to use that uh, form of contact, that's great. Let me make sure I've repeat, got the email address correct, though, first. So World Refuge Ministries. And so your email address is basically kind of an abbreviation of that, W, Refuge, then the number 3, at Outlook.com. I got that correct, right? Yes. Sometimes people will spell refuge with two E's. It's the one E. Oh, okay. So, W-R-E-F-U-G-E, the number three. Okay, and then give us the P.O. Box. It's P.O. Box 20509, Wichita, Kansas. The zip code is 67208. Okay, let me see if I've got that. P.O. Box 20509, Wichita, Kansas, 67208. Yes, sir. Okay. They know how to track you down, Pamela, and I appreciate you so much uh, sharing all the thoughts that you have today and also letting our listeners know that if they've got more questions, they can communicate with you. Before we run, any closing thoughts that you'd like to leave our listeners with? Yes, sir. It's quite simple. I would ask that you take care of yourself and take care of others. Love yourself and love others. Thank you so much, Pamela. I think that puts it all in a nutshell. We have got to run. Hopefully today's show has inspired you with ways that you can make a difference in your community. Whether you feel that you have a powerful voice or not, you have got a voice. That's Pamela's message, and you can make a difference by loving those around you. The healing power of love, medical science attests to it. Put it into practice. For all of us at American Indian Living, I'm Dr. David DeRose wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.